Well, we're continuing our Perfectly One series today, and uh, just to give kind of an overcap of what this series is all about, uh, it's taken from uh, when Jesus was about to be arrested and betrayed and uh, put to death. He prayed a prayer, and uh, the prayer was uh, for his disciples and the future church of Jesus Christ, and the prayer was this was, God, let them become so perfectly one with each other so that the world will know that you sent me and that you love the world. And so that's the whole point of this series, and this is our theme for the year. Um, and we, we, we've come up with this theme because we believe that this year uh, we, we want to come to a place where we are kind of moving and working in the same way so that uh, the love of Jesus can show to this community and this community can know that Jesus is the Son of God who loves them so much. So we've talked about uh, the need to pray together and not just pray individually, but pray together. Um, We've talked about uh, the need just to grow in our discipleship uh, uh, together, uh, to to be connected with one another, uh, to to, uh, use our gifts and our talents, uh, to become creative, uh, to become passionate together um, for others. And so today we're going to talk about something. Uh, Last week we talked about uh, just being the body of Jesus Christ, right? We talked about uh, how each of us have different gifts and talents uh, and we come together as one body. And so in the body of Jesus Christ, uh, the Bible talks about is is the church. So we are, are a representation of Jesus together. Uh, but today we're, we're, we're going to shift, uh, uh, just focus just a little. And uh, it's one of those where I'm just going to uh, preface before we actually talk, uh, um, because some of the things that we're going to say today is just, some of you, you may have heard it many times before. Some of you, you may have a wrong idea of what we're going to say today. And so uh, it's one of those uh, uh, messages that um, I am so excited to, to talk about, because when we were uh, coming up with kind of this theme uh, for the year back in October and November, uh, it was this message that God put in my heart uh, to be able to share with you today. And so today, uh, I'm going to talk a lot about actually what God has done in my own life. And so we're going to do some teaching, but it's going to also be a very much a testimony of what God's done in my life as well. Uh, because uh, um, I am a first-hand uh, uh, um, uh, recipient of what we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, uh, Chris already mentioned, but on your chair, there's a, a couple of uh, index cards. One of them we're going to use at the end uh, of the service today, Uh, but the other one he already mentioned that if there's anything that uh, throughout this series that you have a question on, uh, we want you just to write it down, whatever the question is, as long as it's to do with the series. It's not like, Alex, why are your jeans so skinny? You know, I mean, you can't do stuff like that, but uh, uh, I mean, you can, but I'm just not going to answer it. Um, But uh, uh, anything to do with this series, so uh, maybe it's talking about your gifts and talents, maybe it's talking about prayer, and maybe it's going to be what you talk, what we're going to talk about today, and maybe there might be a lot about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so fill one of these out with your questions, because in two weeks, uh, we're going to use these uh, as a base of our teaching uh, that, uh, that Sunday. So uh, uh, make sure you, know, you, you fill out uh, uh, one of those with just your questions. But today, the white elephant in the room today is going to be money. 
We're going to talk about money today, and the reason I come up with it is because so many people have this idea about church. The church just wants my money, or that's all they care about is money. And the truth is, no, we don't care about money as much as what you think we do. Um, uh, maybe Erin, who deals with our finances, she cares about it, but uh, we always joke whenever we spend something, well, sorry, Erin, you know, we spent something, you know, figure out how we're going to come with it. So, uh, but we're going to talk about money, but that's not going to be the only thing we talk about today. It's just you're going to hear a lot about money uh, because it gives us a great segue into really what we're talking about uh, today. And so that's going to be the white elephant in, in the room. We've already got out of it. So you get brace yourself today for that. So I want to first start talking about some of my upbringing. Because some of you know a lot about me, some of you don't know much about me, but uh, I was born into a pastor's home. My father was a pastor, uh, my grandfather was a pastor, uh, uh, most of my uncles were pastors, my great-grandfather was a pastor. I have a lot of pastor around me, right, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I ended up being a pastor. Go figure that one out. Uh, But growing up in a pastor's home meant that every Sunday we went to church right? We used to get up in the morning and it was this big ordeal because it was back in the day where you dressed to the nines to go to church. So uh, my dad would always be panicking because we were late for church because my mom was trying to get ready because it was like she was going to some like ball or something like some gala. And so uh, uh, every Sunday morning we went to church and it was non-negotiable. The only time we could not go to church was if we were deathly sick, you know? If we had chicken pox or measles, then if we were contagious, we couldn't go. But anything else, you know, you wake up, my stomach doesn't feel good. You go to church, you know? We went to church no matter what. And some of you, you know, you have grown up in church and you experienced the same thing. Some of you didn't. That's kind of foreign uh, to you. But it was non-negotiable. And that meant that there there was no excuse for us not to go to church on a Sunday morning. Even when we went on vacation, we went to church. Now, I have made a pact with my family when we go on church. When we go on vacation, we do not go to church. I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago doing a wedding in Colorado, and so I missed Sunday morning, and uh, this woman came up to me. She was, uh, uh, she, she, she's a Catholic and goes to Catholic church every single week, and she came up to me. She goes, will you be doing a service on Sunday morning? I was just like, no, I'm on vacation. I was like, Jesus loves you no matter what. You know, you don't have to go to church every Sunday. And so uh, we made a, a pact when we were on vacation. Okay, we, we relax and stuff. But so we went to church every single Sunday morning. Non-negotiable. I couldn't play sports on Sunday morning because we had to go to church. Uh, I, I couldn't go off with my friends. I couldn't stay at my friend's house on a Saturday night if it meant me missing church. Church was it. But not only Sunday morning. It was actually in the week as well. So our church... We had Monday night prayer meeting, we had Wednesday night Bible study, and then on the Friday night we had our youth group. And so we had to go to church in the week as well. Now my parents were a little less lenient in the week because it was sometimes it was a school night and, uh, you know, if we had homework and we had different things going on. But still, if we didn't have anything on, we went to church. So we were in church four times a week growing up. No sports, no shopping on Sunday either. It was a no-no. This is what I was told. Sunday is the Lord's day, right? If you need to go shopping, there's six days of the week to go shopping. You don't go shopping. Sunday is the Lord's day. 
We didn't even go out to eat unless it was someone's birthday. Then we went out to eat. Didn't figure that one out. But still, Sunday, nothing. And this is what I got told. This is the sacrifice that we make for following Jesus. Didn't make sense to me at all. I'm like, hasn't Jesus already like made the sacrifice so that we don't have to? Even as a young kid, I kind of understood the idea of grace. I remember one time my mom, uh, I bugged my mother for two months to actually, because I got invited to play in a cricket match. Yes, I play cricket. I'm a nerd, right? If you ever want to know what cricket is and how to explain it, give me about six hours and I'll explain it to you, right? So I played in this cricket match, and I got invited, and I bugged my mom for two whole months. In the end, my mother says, okay, this is the one and only time that you get to miss church because you get to play cricket. I went and played. I came back. She goes, how do you do? I says, I didn't play very well. She goes, well, that's what happens when you miss church on a Sunday morning, right? That was our life going up. Then once I started to work at the age of 13, I got myself a paper round. It wasn't like American paper rounds when you're in a van and you just throw the papers wherever they land and then the people have to come and pick them up. We actually used to go up to where each door has a letterbox and you go up and put it into the letterbox, right? So we actually earned, you know, our living as a paper boy. As soon as I got my first paycheck, which was like £9 for the week, you know, my mother and my father said to me, okay, you need to take 10% of that and you got to put in the offer. And I'm like, you what? It says... 10% put it in the offering. So that's what we did. And then when I got to the age of 16 and I was able to work for real, then I got myself a job in a retail store. And again, my parents were like, every time you get a paycheck, get 10%, put it in the offering. And that was back in the mid-90s, early mid-90s. And I've been doing that ever since. That God is, uh, that, that I've been told and was taught 10% of what you earn, you put in the offering. Not only that, my mother always taught me any time an offering plate comes by, you always put something in the offering plate. So we had two services on a Sunday morning and, and evening, and I'd put my offering in the morning one, and then my mom would turn to me as the evening one come by. She goes, make sure you put something on. I'm like, I've, got, I've already put in for the day. She goes, no, you got to put in again. And she goes, even if it's just some, some coins. So often my mom would be going to a purse and just give me a couple of coins so I could put in. Because that was the lifestyle that, or, or the culture that we grew up in. Every time the offering plate came around, we put it in. Now, growing up, there was a lot of good theology that was taught. A lot of good things that were taught. There was also some bad theology as well that we were taught. Some bad things. Things that really weren't biblical, that were more cultural or people's opinions of what, what was expected. And even though I do not now be in an adult and understanding this journey of faith for myself, I do not uh, agree theologically with everything that I was taught growing up. I cannot deny that one of the greatest lessons of my upbringing taught me this. And we're going to put it on the screen, and this is one of the greatest lessons I've ever heard or ever, or ever learned in my Christian faith. And this is the lesson. Part of following Jesus is about giving up what you want. The result of giving up for Jesus is that suffering will follow. 
Let me read that again because some of you, you've been around a form of Christianity that may have never even heard this. I like to call it the consumer Christianity. But some of you, you may have never heard this at all. Part of following Jesus is about giving up what you want. And the result of giving up for Jesus is that suffering will follow. Jesus told his disciples this, you will suffer for my sake. He said one day, he says, you've got to give up your cross and follow me. You've got to give up everything to follow me. He said to one guy one time who came to him and says, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, forget your father, let the dead bury the dead. If you want to follow me, follow me now. I'm like, wow, that's a little harsh. That's a little crazy, Jesus. But the reality is this, is that part of following Jesus is giving up what you want. And the result of giving up for Jesus' sake is that suffering will follow. Now, not the commercial many Christian leaders want to broadcast because this is what we want to broadcast. Jesus loves you no matter what. He's in everything. And you don't have to do anything, right? And part of that is partly true. Jesus loves you. He has done everything. In order to come to Jesus, you don't have to do anything. But part of the consequences of following Jesus is that you do have to give up what you want. In truth, there is no salvation without sacrifice. And there is no overcoming without suffering. And I think suffering is one of those things that we just don't teach in the Christian life anymore because this is so often the narrative that we believe that if I'm suffering, it's because God is mad with me or God has forgotten about me or God has neglected me. God doesn't care about me because I'm suffering. But in truth, when you actually read the narrative of the Gospels and you see the New Testament and the early church being formed in the New Testament, you start to realize this. Actually, if I'm suffering, I may actually be on the right path. Which is so far into so often what we are taught in this day and age. Now, one of the issues that... I found out that I was taught to, when I was taught to live out my faith as a boy in the 80s and a teenager in the 90s was this, was that we make sacrifices for Jesus, we, we give up for Jesus, we even suffer for Jesus, but most of it is for our own sake. It's so that, you know, we, 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 we can receive more of Jesus for ourselves, so God can bless us and, and give to us. But there was very little in that teaching when I was growing up about giving up and sacrificing and suffering on behalf of others or suffering for the church, for the body of Christ, for the kingdom of God. It was very me-centric. It wasn't about doing things for others as much. And it was in the matter, and this is where the money stuff comes in. It was in the matter of tithing. Now, if you don't know what that term means, it's like, basically, it's an Old Testament term that people will debate whether, it's, whether the New Testament, you know, teaches it or not. For the, that doesn't matter. It's an Old Testament term that meant a tenth of what you have, you brought to the temple. That's basically what tithing meant. And it was in the matter of this tithing that my world started to change. 
And God started to do something within me and, 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 and this truth of Scripture that we're going to teach you today started to embed in my heart and started to grow and change my life forever. And I started to hear this word around in different, in different teachings and different things that people started to teach. And, and, and it's a phrase that isn't a political statement. It's not a philosophy argument, but it's a truth that resounds to the kingdom of God. And this is the statement I started to hear. Equal sacrifice, not equal gift. Equal sacrifice, not equal gift. And let me show you what I mean by this. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, the scriptures will be on the screen as well. It's a tiny little passage of scripture that for me has just changed the way that I view just my Christian faith and view life in general. It's found in Mark chapter 12, and I'm going to start reading at verse 41, and this is what it says. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. Let's just pause that for a moment. Could you imagine if Jesus was in this room and he decided to go and sit like right back where the baskets are back there? I mean, you'd just be like, oh my word, you know, like Jesus is sitting there. I better go and put some. It's like my mother, the collection by coming by, whatever you have in your pocket, just put it in there. Even if there's like a button in there, just put it in there so like Jesus sees it, right? Could you imagine Jesus is sitting at the collection box at the temple, the pressure, right? The pressure to give. But this is basically what the collection box was, just before we continue reading. At the temple, everybody was told that they had to come in and give some sort of temple tax, right? It wasn't a specific figure like our taxes, like you doing your tax returns, there's specific things you have to give. But they would come and you would have to drop something in the, in, in, in the collection box. Now, the collection box wasn't, you know, a nice little wood box, you know, with offerings appreciated on there. It was a big, kind of more ceramic kind of vase kind of thing. And the reason they did this, you put your money in and it would be centered in the temple where the acoustics were the best. You'd put your money in and in those days they didn't have notes. It was all coins. The more wealthy the coin, the heavier the coin. You'd put the money in and suddenly you would hear, ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Everybody would know exactly what you're putting in the offering. Now, how about that? How about if we did that at church, right? Okay, before everyone comes in, everyone's going to swipe their credit card, and we're going to put how much you're giving on the screen as you're coming in. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Who would do that? Maybe there are some churches, but stay away from them. <laughs> but that's what they did. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. So the more money you had, the more everyone looked around. Whoa, who just gave that today? You know, whoa, somebody must be doing pretty good in life, right? So Jesus sat next to the collection box. He wasn't spying. He could hear how much they were giving. So let's continue reading. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Then a poor widow came and dropped two small coins. Ding, ding. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. 
right? He's not just making a statement like, hey, what do you think about this, guys? He said, I'm telling you the truth. This is the truth right here. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Everything she had to live on. Now, before this, I really understood this scripture. I would just carry on saying, yeah, you know, some teaching of Jesus, let's move on. For me, giving money was about tithing, doing a weekly ritual of tithe, because that was my upbringing, how I grew up. You gave you 10%. It's like a, re- a weekly routine or a bi-weekly routine if, if you get paid bi-weekly. My mother always believed you should always give weekly regardless, you know. It was like a spiritual discipline, making sure I paid my 10%. If I pay my 10%, then God is happy with me, right? That's, what we, that's often what we believed. But after reading this and letting this scripture just sink into my heart, I started to notice what Jesus noticed. And I made three observations that Jesus noticed. The first one is this, is that the woman was poor. He calls her a widow. Now, back in those days, they didn't have a welfare system. Women, unfortunately, could not work at the standard that men could work. So the jobs that women had paid very little if they could work. If you were a widow, you had nobody to provide for you. Instantly, you became poor. Instantly. So Jesus noticed that this woman was poor. Now, she gave two coins, two pennies. In the old translations, they call it two mites. What two mites were? They were the smallest coins, the least heavy coins in Jesus' time. They were the least value. They were like, you know, a cent. You know, have you ever picked up a cent? It's like you just throw it on the ground, you know? My, my son loves it if he finds money on the ground. The, the other day, he picked up a cent. We were in Nordstrom's, and he picked up this cent, and he's got this toy he wants to buy. He's look, look, Daddy, I've got enough money to buy this toy. I said, no, son, you need about 1,500 more of those, you know? Could have been like two cents, maybe, maybe a nickel, maybe a dime. But nothing at all. She was poor. She had nothing. We we used to use an expression back in England. She didn't have two pennies to rub together. This is also what Jesus noticed. The rich gave out of their surplus. It's an important word. We'll talk about that in a minute. They gave out of their surplus. He also noticed this. The woman gave everything she had to live on. How, How bad was her living conditions if the smallest coins is all she had to live on? That's what Jesus noticed. Now, obviously, Jesus says this. She's given more than all these. Well, that's a a false statement because she hasn't given more than all of those because they've given way more. You could hear by the coins that were dropping in the collection uh, pot, in the collection box. But what Jesus was saying there was this woman has given more than all of them, even though this woman, what she gave was hardly enough to buy anything. It was almost pointless, this woman giving anything. The temple had enough money. They didn't need her two little pennies at all. The temple needed the rich guys. That's how they survived. The temple survived with the rich guys, not the little woman's two mites. But yet Jesus is making a statement here 
And he's saying, no, this woman, as little as she is given in the kingdom of God, she's given more than all of them. In the world that we live in, this natural world that we live in, yeah, they've given way more than she has. But in the kingdom of God, she has given more than they have. And these, this is two things that, after looking at this, that suddenly started to change my life. And these are the two things that I noticed. Firstly, the rich did not have to give up anything to give. The rich didn't have to give up anything to give at all. It did not cost them anything, for they gave out of their surplus. What's surplus? Money left over. Stuff that, you know, I mean, what, what do we do with our surplus? We go buy our kids an Xbox with our surplus, right? We, we go out to dinner with our surplus. You know, we go and buy another pair of shoes, even though we've got 90 pairs of shoes at home. I'm not talking about my wife at all, you know? With our surplus. That's what we do with our surplus. They gave out of their surplus. The second thing that I noticed was this. It cost the woman everything to be obedient. Everything to be obedient. It was a true sacrifice she suffered to give. And Jesus declares that this woman has given more than these men. And now normally when Jesus makes a statement like that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He backs it up with an argument or he backs it up with another statement. But here it is so obvious the point that Jesus is trying to make. And this is the point that Jesus is trying to make here in this scripture. This is the point. When you give, you give out of sacrifice, not out of surplus. When you give... You give out a sacrifice, not out of surplus. I was raised to give 10% of everything I earned to the church. But this story challenged me. Because what happens when your 10% no longer feels like a sacrifice, but it feels like a surplus? You may think, Alex, Matt. 10% 10% to me would make me broke. I wouldn't be able to pay my mortgage. Well, there's the sacrifice. But for some people, what happens when your 10% no longer feels like a sacrifice? What happens when your tithe feel more, more like a rich man's surplus? And this is where this scripture just went into my life. When we started this church, Raquel and myself didn't earn hardly anything at all. And it was a sacrifice. We gave up a lot to, to be able to start the church with a great team. And it was a struggle week on week. But the more we gave, the more we started to realize God was providing for us to a point where we got to a point where we could fo- afford to buy a house. And then we bought the house and we realized, wow, man, it's expensive owning a house. Can I get an amen there, right? And then it felt like a sacrifice again. But we decided we kept giving. And we kept giving of our time and giving of our energy and giving our resources and our finances. And we kept on being obedient to God because we knew that somehow Scripture would say he would take care of all of our needs. So we started to give. And you know what? God started to bless 
Now, I'm not talking about prosperity ministry. I didn't have a boat or a plane or anything like that. I didn't start dressing in a, you know, in a, a $5,000 suit, you know? Because a lot of people think that's prosperity. No, no. God provides your needs. And the more we started to give out a sacrifice, the more we started to realize that God was providing our needs. And, 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 and we get to a point where suddenly our sacrifice became surplus. And a couple of years ago, we got to this point where we were giving more than we had ever given before, but yet it felt more like a surplus. So we felt God was like, no, you need to give out a sacrifice. And then we bought another house. And now everything feels like a sacrifice. (laughs) But that's our story. And I discovered the beauty of surrendering all to Christ and living in sacrifice, not surplus. And this is what happens. God meets your needs. Before you think this is just some preacher talking about money, I want to back up my claims a little with some scripture and then divert attention away from money to everything else because this, this talk this morning is not about money. It's not a money talk, even though money is involved in it. Jesus taught a whole lot about money and the importance of it uh, uh, in life. But our giving so, should be so much more than money. Our giving should be about giving of our time and of our abilities and our resources. How about giving of our grace to other people? Giving of our kindness, giving of our love to each other. And this is where I want to just back up some things that, uh, that I've been talking about this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this to the Corinthian church, starting at verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God for them. Let me tell you, in my life, verse 8 is my testimony. It's my story. And this is what verse 8 says. And God will generously provide all you need. God will generously provide all you need. Paul is saying, I love what Paul says. He says, don't give out of pressure or in response to guilt. So often you sit in church, you're like, man, I just feel guilty. I need to do this or I need to to give more. I'm pressured to give. If you feel pressured to give or you feel guilty, don't give. And this is why, because you're not giving out of sacrifice. You're giving out of guilt. And God doesn't want stuff out of guilt. God wants sacrifice. He says this, giving should be done out of delight and generosity. Delight and generosity. 
I love what Paul says. He says, each person should decide in their own heart what they are to give. So that means I can't tell you what to give. That means the person next to you can't tell you what to give and you can't tell me what to give. Because each person should decide in their own heart what to give. This was a game changer for me when I heard this. This whole 10% thing went out the window. I started to dream. What if I could give 15%? What if I could give 20%? What if I could give 40%? What if I could give 50%? What if I could be like J.C. Penny, the guy who started J.C. Penny? And give 90% of my income. Then I started to realize, no, I'm, I, I'm making this too like money. It's all about money. It's all about percentages. What if I just gave everything to God? Started to dream in my heart what I could give. And so I want to ask you two questions this morning. And in a minute, we're going to have a chance to respond. But the two questions are this. Are you giving out a surplus or sacrifice? Think about what you're giving in your life, whether it's your finances, whether it's your time, your ability, whether uh, you're giving of your energies. Are you giving out of sacrifice or surplus? The second question I want you to just ponder on, what have you determined in your heart to give? What have you determined in your heart to give? If you have nothing in your heart that you want to give to to others, to the kingdom of God, to God and and, and, and to other people in need, then you need to check your hearts. Because as people of Jesus, we should be generous people. Doesn't mean we're all rich people. Just means that we should be generous people with what God has given us. So you may be here thinking, Alex, you don't know my circumstances. I can't afford to give. I don't have the time to give up. I'm working four million jobs and I just don't have the time. I can't make my bills. My life is one big sacrifice with my family and my job. I I don't have any gifts, any talents to give. Then let me give you an example of some people who did not have much at all, but understood it's about equal sacrifice, not equal gift. And you understand what I mean by that? Equal sacrifice, equal gift. If you were to join the Bella Athletic Club, or if you could go and join Maryland Golf and Country Club, or if you could go and join like some yacht club down on the Bush River, then this is what they believe. Equal gift, not equal sacrifice. Because you have a membership fee to pay, no matter what your circumstances are, everyone pays the same. Unless you're old, uh, or you're young, right? But most of the time, everyone pays the same. But in the kingdom of God, it doesn't work like that. It's about equal sacrifice, that we're all making sacrifices for the kingdom of God. We're all giving up for the kingdom of God. Now, let's take a look at what happened in the early church in Acts chapter 4. And we're going to close with this, verse 32 to 37. It says this, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one, one of the apostles uh, the, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. 
He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the land of, uh, of the island of Cyprus. He told, uh, sorry, he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Did you notice what they said in that scripture there? There was no needy people among them. We're not talking about some welfare state here. We're talking about this church understood equal sacrifice. So that there was no needy people among them. That is some statement. Within their church community, God had given them everything they needed to make sure that there was no person left behind. I'm not talking about teachers and schools and things like that. I'm going to say that. When I think about that, I think, well, how well must they have known each other to know the needs of one another? How did they give up for the sake of others? How much did they have to give up so that others wouldn't go needy? So the early church understood that in order to be effective for the gospel of Jesus Christ, they needed each other and they needed to give up for the sake of each other. They understood it was about equal sacrifice, not the percentages that they tithed. They discovered that when you give generously to others, God is even more generous than you in return. And the result was that there was nobody in need. What an unbelievable story and testimony of a church. Could you imagine if suddenly the community in Bel Air started to figure, find out about Generation Church? You know what? There's no needy people among them. For some reason, that, that, that God has just brought them together in a, in a place that, yeah, that, that there may be some who earn more than others and stuff, but there's no needy people among them. What a testimony that would be to the world around us. So as we close today, I'm going to ask you two questions. And this is where I want you to get your index card out and your little golf pencil that's on your chair. And these are the two questions I want you to write on them. Write one at the top, one at the bottom, or in the middle so you leave some room to write an answer. Because just as we finish today, we're just going to pray and we're going to try to write in these things. And this is for you, nobody else. If you want to participate... Great. If you don't, well, that's up to you. But these are the two questions that I want you to write on there. The first one is this. What sacrifice did I make for the good of the kingdom of God this week? What sacrifice did I make for the good of the kingdom of God this week? It's an evaluation. Okay, am I making sacrifices for God? Because part of following Jesus is giving up what I want. What sacrifice did I make for the good of the kingdom of God this week? The second question that I want you to write on there. What am I determined in my heart to give for the kingdom of God? And this is really personal now. Because Paul says, let a man determine in his own heart. And when he says man, he talks man, women, children. What am I determined in my heart to give for the kingdom of God? So this is what I'm going to do. We're going to pray. And after we pray, we're just going to take 
just a minute. And I want you just to write your answers on the card. Just as a response to what the Word of God's saying. You know, am I going to be a rich man who gives out of my surplus? Or am I going to model the poor widow who gave everything she has? I tell you, as hard as it is, I want to be the widow. No matter what the cost may come, I want to be the widow. Because Jesus has given me everything. And I know he'll take care of my needs. So in response, I want to determine that I want to give everything. And I don't know what that looks like. But I want to be the widow. So Father God, this morning, as we just write on these cards, I pray that you'll speak into our hearts. That your word just come alive to us, God. Father, I pray that what we write, what we determine in our hearts will come to pass. Whether it's something we can do right now or it's, it's a dream for the future, that it will come to pass. So Father God, we pray today that we desire to be like the poor widow. Giving of our resources and our time and our ability and our grace and our forgiveness and our love. Out of sacrifice, not out of surplus. Father, we pray, Lord, that you will help us. And in return, we pray that what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians will come true. Lord, that you will generously give us everything we need as we give unto you. We ask in your name. Amen. So let's just take a moment and write your answers. Just before we go, one more, one more quick story. Every year I write my prayer requests at the beginning of January in a little journal I have. And I've been doing this for about 10 years now. I've been doing what I call giving goals just to kind of help me so I become less focused on me and more in the kingdom of God. And I wrote a giving goal two years ago. That was way out there. No way I would have ever been able to even get close to it. And I'd forgotten about it. And for us, it would have been a huge sacrifice to even get anywhere near it. I mean, it was just way out there. And when I got my giving statement this year for 2018, and let me just tell you, we're talking about money and stuff. I have no idea what you guys give. We let the finance team deal with that. I write the letter and that gets sent out. And then you, I have no idea. So for me, it's a surprise when I get my giving statement back. So I know... You know, it's like, oh man, I won't be good at that. Well, I got my giving statement back this year and it's almost like tears fill my eyes because that prayer I had two years ago, I was like, wow, I surpassed it. And that's not to say, Alex, you're a wonderful, no. It's to show that God provides your needs. 
And when you dream big for God, God will respond by allowing you to fulfill that dream. So whatever you wrote there today, I'm determined to give, whether it's something like right now or it's something for the future. If you believe on God and you make, you know, you stand and make those sacrifices for God, I guarantee you, keep your heart pure before God. And maybe in a few years' time, maybe in a few months, maybe it might be 10, 20 years, you'll look back and you're like, wow. I did that because of what the Lord has done. So Father God, today we just thank you for all that you're doing in and through us, God. We pray that you'll just help us this week, God, to think less about us and more about you. Lord Jesus, we pray, Lord, that we will be givers and generous in all the things that we do, Lord Jesus, just like the early church were. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that we will hear a testimony after testimony and story of God, how you have just done amazing things. Father, we pray that you'll help us and use us for the kingdom of God, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week, the last part of the Perfectly One series.